come down to the front. If you are in fifth grade or younger, we invite you down for our children's chat at this time before you go to Hope for Kids. <clears throat> yeah. Hello, everybody. That's a bonus balloon. And it's pretty. Okay. Well, I'm glad you found it. Okay, so I got a question. Has any, have any of you ever gotten in trouble before? A lot. A lot? <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Okay, so what, what happens when you get in trouble? What happens? You go to a timeout. And so, Caden, have you ever been put in timeout for any reason? Okay, you don't have to go into the details. Just want to make sure you understand the concept. You know what timeout is, right? Do you like timeout? No, right? Timeout's no fun. So let's say that you got in trouble and you were put in timeout for five minutes. That's too long. Let's say six, six minutes. Too long. We do the eggs. Our family does you, you do your timeout based on your age? I'm in, I, that's not good for me. I don't like that rule. I don't like that. That's, yeah, that's, that's a good night. That's a good night's sleep. All right. Um, okay, so let's say that, Caden, um, let's say I put you in timeout for six minutes. How's that sound? No? Okay. Um, Let's see, Zoe, let's say I put you in timeout for six minutes, and Caden, I put you in timeout for 60 minutes. Okay, okay, so one of you's in for six, one of you's in for 60, and then a minute later I come in and I say, you know what, timeout's over, y'all can go. Who's happier? Why? He, yeah, he got, he got forgiven more, right? And so Jesus has a discussion with someone about forgiveness, and he says that the people who have the most joy in their faith and their relationship with God are the people who understand how much they've been forgiven, right? So those of us who understand that our, our timeout should have been 60 minutes, a whole hour, right? If we understand that and then God lets us out, we are more grateful. So how does that relate to us? Like what does God want from us? What does he want us to feel in our hearts? When we do something wrong, what does he want us to feel? Sad about our sin, right? And he wants us to come to him and say what? Forgive me. Right? And when God forgives you, when God forgives you, then how do you feel? So you felt sad when you did something wrong, and then he forgives you. Now you feel happy. You're out of time out. Right? That's a good feeling. So there you go. God wants us to know that we are forgiven 
he wants us to be happy about the fact that we are forgiven. Um, if you know that you're forgiven, are you more likely to be nice to people? Yeah, right? You're li- more likely to forgive others because you know that God forgave you. Yes. So you can take what God gave you and you can spread it around. I think you get it. Can I pray for you guys before you go to Hope for Kids? All right. Dear God, thank you for these precious children, for the gift that they are to our lives, to our church, to our families. We pray your blessing on them as they study more of your word and Hope for Kids. Fill them with your Holy Spirit and lead them into a deeper understanding of how much you love them. And help all of us to know that because of you, because of your son Jesus Christ, we are forgiven, we are free, we are out of time out, and we are joyful and happy about it. We pray your blessing over these children in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great time in Hope for Kids. Deb, I don't know what you're doing, but they run to your ministry and away from mine. I don't, I don't understand. What is that? But Carl, I don't want you running into church. You'll just get hurt. Yeah, you're past that point. All right. Well, will you uh, join me in a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning? God, our loving Father, as we open your word, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would read there to us those things which we need to give to you. Our sins, our disappointments, even our joys and victories, we we give them all to you that you might receive the glory. And Lord, we come before you acknowledging our, our brokenness, our need for grace, for your gospel, for your love. And so we open your word with anticipation that we will um, hear through these words your heart for us. And as we do that, we lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. And Lord, we give you those whom we know and love who are sick or facing uncertain diagnoses, and we pray your healing mercies over them. We give you thanks for Yolanda Clifton's successful surgery, and we just pray that this would be a pathway to reducing her pain levels and restoring her to full health and function. So we pray your continued healing over her. We lift up all of those whom we know and love who are in need of your healing mercies today. And Father, we lift before you those relationships in our lives that are strained, and we pray for your peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift to you our nation and our leaders at every level of government, elected and appointed, and we pray that you would watch over them and give discernment to the decisions that are before them. Lord, that um, they would lead this country with wisdom and just according to your will. And Lord, we lift up our men and women in uniform. We pray that you would watch over and protect them. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way. We ask that you would bring them home safely. We lift up those who've returned home, changed as a result of their service to protect and defend our freedoms. And we pray your healing over them, mind, body, and soul. We lift up your church here at Hope and around the world. As we worship you today, may your word go forth through the mouths of your people, and may it not return to you empty. 
We think of those churches to whom we are connected through our denomination and our missions giving, and we pray your blessing over all of those works. We lift up Paul and Elizabeth Branch in Guatemala, John and Diane Davis in Laredo, Texas, uh, Pastor Miguel and Tatiana in, at our sister church in Camahuani, Cuba. We lift up Patchy and Marilyn Quesada in Havana, Cuba. We lift up Robbie and Joyce Hamd as they continue to serve uh, your kingdom in Beirut, Lebanon. And we lift up Monica and Benjamin Bailey as they serve you in the Middle East. And we just pray your blessings over them. We lift up all the young church plants that are uh, started or being started here in Texas, in our denomination, in Katy, in New Braunfels, in Austin, and now in Dallas. And we just pray your blessing over those young works. Be with us now as we open your word, open our hearts, and speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we have been in a series of messages lately where we um, are looking at different accounts, different stories in the scriptures that involve women whose names were not recorded uh, along with the story. And so what I hope that you will, that you will hear when we're, when we're reading this passage and reflecting upon it is the heart of God toward women in general, toward you in particular, or if you're a man listening, that you would hear the heart of God that would help you better value and appreciate the women that he has surrounded you with in your life. And as we do this, there will be, there will be things that are pertinent to all of us, of course. Um, but we're, we're also trying to look particularly at the ways in which God related to, interacted with, and, and drew out the, the value and the beauty and the, the importance of these women and their contributions to redemptive history, our understanding of who God is and how he moves and works. And so to that end, we come to a passage today that's in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, this particular uh, story um, is not uh, unique to the Gospel of Luke. There are at least two other instances um, where something very similar to this happens. One of those is described both in Matthew and in Mark, and in that instance, Jesus' head is anointed by a woman who is unnamed, and then in the Gospel of John, the woman is actually named, but it's in a different, he's in a different region of the country when that story occurs, and his feet are also anointed there. Um, so if, I, if, I'm, if I'm getting this right... There are, there's one instance of his head being anointed by an unnamed woman and one instance of his feet being anointed by an unnamed woman and then another instance of his feet being anointed by a different woman whose name we do know. So just in case you're wondering which story we're in, we're, we're looking at the story in the Gospel of Luke and this is an unnamed woman who encounters Jesus as he is traveling into or through her village and he is invited to dinner in someone's home, and she comes into that home and, and does what you're about to hear uh, in the story. And there's a really amazing interaction that follows. And so there's a lot of questions in this passage, like how did she, how did she know who Jesus was, and how, how did she get to the point 
where he meant so much to her. We don't get any of that background. Uh, how did she get into the home? That's <laughs> another question I have when I read this. Like, how did she get there? Um, but you'll see as we read, there's this just incredible interaction. Um, she is completely uh, swept up in the moment of being in the presence of Jesus, and she does something that is deeply uh, beautiful and powerful and humble and, and worshipful, and then the interaction sort of flows from there. So we will read in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version if, you're, if you have other translations in front of you. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table, or at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had, inv- who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want to read two other passages while we're while we're here. Um, one is just an excerpt from the Lord's Prayer. This, I'm taking this out of Matthew chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. You know this one. You've, you've heard it your whole life. And this is just the portion of the Lord's Prayer where it says, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those, as we forgive our debtors. Excuse me. Jesus 
makes an association here that he comes back to in this story between God's forgiveness and our forgiveness. That one feeds the other. And interestingly, in the way that Jesus related to his followers, he didn't, he didn't always put them in, in what I would call the theologically correct order. Like, because God has forgiven you, you then are compelled to forgive others. Jesus sort of flips it around, right? And, and he does this often in his teaching. He turns things upside down. He, he looks at things backwards. Um, he says things, crazy things like, love your enemies. What? Wait a minute. I have fun hating my enemies. What are you taking that away from me for? Like, the Phillies? Come on. I can't love them. Um, so... Um, I just wanted to sort of look at that in the Lord's Prayer as we're in this passage. And then um, another connection that I want to make, it's in Psalm 86, verse 5. And it's this connection between forgiveness and love. And I always found it fascinating when Jesus is asking Simon the Pharisee in this story about um, the, you know, who, who, like he forgives two people, one ten times more than the other, which one will love him more? I was like, wait, wait, why, why does he ask it that way? And he's asking it that way because he's trying to make a connection between the fruit of the human heart and the true heart of God himself. And so Psalm 86 verse 5 um, is just one of several places where these two concepts are connected in the Old Testament But it says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. This this inherent connection between forgiveness and love in the heart of God. Those God wants to be replicated in our hearts as we live our lives, that there would be love and forgiveness or forgiveness and love that flow out of us. And we'll talk about how that works here in a minute. Um, But just let's go back to this interaction. How does she get there? Like they're in a private home. They're in the first century. uh, They didn't have chairs. They sat on the floor and the table was just sort of a a flat surface in front of them. And they would be sitting on cushions. And to get closer to the food, they would kick their feet out to one side and sort of sit on an elbow on the other side. And they might have a pillow under them to kind of prop them up a little bit. It, it, It would be weird for us to sit down at a first century table and have lunch. And then I would have to just, like, stay there. Right? But that's, you know... Neither here nor there. Um, and uh, so that's what's going on. There, there are several people around this, this setting where there's food. And they're, you know, they're sort of plucking off of plates with their hand and eating. And there's a woman there who doesn't really belong there. But she comes in with a fancy jar of ointment. And she 
opens it, and as she is behind Jesus where his feet are, she begins weeping. And I am just insanely curious, like, what was their interaction before this? What had he said to her before? What had she heard him say or teach? What stirred within her to bring her to this place of worship and devotion that she expresses so powerfully? Um, And the fact is, we don't know. Luke doesn't give us any clues as to what she would have heard or understood or what interactions she might have previously had with Jesus. But somehow, she knows. She knows who this is. She knows not only who he is, but what he means, what his presence means, not just to her, but to everyone around her. And she understands something, and we'll we'll get to a little bit more of this in a moment, but she understands something that was one of the most difficult things for people who were listening to Jesus to understand. That the normal human economy in God's kingdom has been turned on its head. Where, Where the rich are now poor and the poor are now rich, where those who had no hope, had no future, are now loved and have a place to belong. The, the outcast is now in the family. And Jesus was going about everywhere he went trying to communicate this sort of inverted nature of God's kingdom. That God's kingdom doesn't work on merit and reward it works on reward that then will generate fruit. It will bear the fruit of, of grace in our lives. And it's, it's unmerited. It's an un, we, didn't, we didn't earn the reward. We didn't work for it. It comes free. And so this woman somehow understands just enough of this truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that she is overcome that she engages in this act of devotion that is incredibly uh, personal. Like her hair? Cleaning his feet with her hair? Ew. Right? Blah. And if you think what's on a person's feet in the first century, blah. And here, she doesn't care. She is at the feet of her Savior. And I don't know that she comes in with any full theological clarity as to who this is or what he's done. I I don't know. right? But she somehow, by the Spirit of God, knows exactly who this is and what it means. And she begins to express that devotion. So what can we learn from her? What can we learn from this entire situation So her act of devotion that's described in this story is a complete giving up of pride. And I'd like us to start there. That's the cue we can take from this woman at the front end. To just, in our relationship with God, just give up our pride. That's 
starting point number one. To worship at his feet. So the Pharisee in this story, we have his name almost by accident. Um, and he's still trying to figure out who Jesus is, right? And he's got a little test. He's got a little few things he's going to use to try and discern if this guy is legit. I, you know, maybe he's a prophet. I don't know. He's, the, his jury is still way out there. The woman, she's all in. She's, she has no hesitation, no doubt, no, uh, no need to test Jesus to see if he's really the Messiah. She's just going for it. And she decides the best response to the presence of Christ is to worship him. And she begins to weep over probably her own sin and the idea that it could be forgiven. That so much sin could be forgiven. And can I just emphasize this? I think a lot of us feel in our hearts, in our relationship with God, like what I've done is, is not forgivable. Like I've done too much, or I did, I did this one thing, or I did these, these series of things, or I lived this way for some period of time, and I don't, I don't deserve to be in God's family. And that's actually true. But this idea that as we weep over our sin we find something in that humility. We find very level ground at the foot of the cross where it doesn't really matter how sinful someone else is if I fully grasp and understand how sinful I am. And so we begin here. Worship begins with weeping over our sin and rejoicing over the anointed one. It is not an accident that this woman anoints Jesus' feet. That this idea of anointing is a very ancient concept, and it symbolizes blessing. And so what she is saying is these are the feet of blessing. Blessed are the feet that bring good news. These are those feet. These feet belong to the one who will come to bring forgiveness to my heart, to restore me to right relationship with God in spite of everything I've done. And then, as we take up our own worship in the presence of Christ, there's something else here, and I'm going to use the Pharisee, Simon, as the tipping the, the tip for this, but that we must stop judging others. We must stop looking at the sins of others as the problem. And I, I say this uh, fairly frequently, um, the, the sin in this entire world that God is most concerned about is mine. In my relationship with God, that's the only sin that matters. And I need to give that to him and deal with that 
And as I do that, I find that I'm on level ground with everyone else. And so we, in this exercise of, of yielding our pride to our Savior, we worship at his feet and we stop judging others. We cannot think that we are above anyone else. And I'll just warn you, this is such a native human tendency that as soon as we go out these doors, there will be people that each of us think we are better than. That's the way our hearts work. Um, And, well, let's just put it this way. Jesus has something to say about that. And I I love the fact that he, he, he reads Simon's thoughts. He's like, um... I got something to say about that, brother. And Simon mistakenly says, go ahead. Right? Um, so this is, this is where we begin. In a place of worship, a place of humility, a place of equality. And the other thing I'll point out about Simon, and, and this is very, very much like Adam in the garden, He's pointing at her, and he's pointing at God. He's like, if, if he was a prophet of God, he would know who this is and what she's done and what kind of person she is, right? And so he's putting himself above both her and the Messiah. Oops. Um, and... And can I just say, that's what we all do. When we put ourselves above another person, we, we put ourselves above not just that person, but also our God, our Savior, that person's Savior, the one who will forgive that person of their sins. And we think we somehow know better. We're to give up our pride, and we're to size up our debts as God's children. To really understand that I'm the one who's forgiven more. I'm the one who had the bigger debt. And, and you need to say that for yourself, but I can only say that for myself. Sizing up our debts means that God wants us to do the spiritual math. To know that our sin is much worse than we think. And to also know that his grace is much greater than we think. Here we are in this incredible interaction, and the woman actually illustrates the point that Jesus is trying to make to this hypocritical, prideful man, that those who are forgiven much will love much. This is why we, as, as Christ's followers, are supposed to be loving and generous and kind and everything else. Because we have been forgiven everything. And so, we do the math, and as we do that, we unlock our capacity to love. As we accept God's forgiveness for ourselves, 
as we stop saying silly things like, well, he, he couldn't forgive me for that. And we say, God, here I am. Here's the real me. Here's, the, here's how selfish I am, how prideful I am. I'm just going to give it all to you. As we experience that forgiveness, we begin to express our gratitude. I want to I celebrate this woman for a moment Think about how completely uninhibited she is in her expression of devotion to Christ. She's weeping in front of other people. She's cleaning his feet with her hair. She's blessing him, anointing his feet. She is worshiping him, honoring him, expressing just completely uninhibited. We can all learn from this. This degree of freedom that she is feeling in the, in the wake of bringing all of who she is to her Savior. And, and let me just let me try to paint this. So in the first century, and, and this is in a Jewish village, we think, uh, the last place that, that is named is just a chapter or so before this, and Jesus is traveling through Galilee, his home state, and he's in this little, passing through this little village, and this Pharisee invites him to dinner, and this interaction occurs. And I'll just try to set the, the stage for, for who this woman is and what she was probably feeling. So the first century was set up the structure of society where this story occurs is set up in such a way that it works pretty well if you have a husband and a wife who both have a mom and a dad, and they have kids, and the whole thing actually works pretty well. The, the stability of that family system gets everybody through from, from birth to burial pretty well. It works When any part of that breaks down, when a husband dies, for example, or a father dies, then the system breaks down very quickly. And the ones who would suffer the most in the first century would be the women who were left without that full system of support. And they are very often forced to turn to alternatives that are not honorable, or they're forced into that by wicked family members or neighbors or what have you. And this is probably what we're looking at here, is a woman who is a victim of circumstance, who has been put into this position of uh, ill repute by her circumstances and has been sort of forced into that reality, and there she is. And here comes a man who's saying the very opposite of what her society is saying. That if you're not in a, a healthy, honorable system of a family, that you're not honorable. And Jesus is saying, no, actually, you still have worth, you still have value, you still have beauty, you still have purpose. You still can love, you can know me, you can find forgiveness, hope, and joy. 
And so this woman has come into this place where she's hearing something she's never heard before, that she has value, that God loves her, that God has a a purpose for her. And it unlocks this expression of gratitude, this devotion that is so over the top in its, in its application of love to the circumstance that it's, it's remarkable. She expresses her gratitude in completely uninhibited freedom, and she finds complete forgiveness as a result. Verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. We're to give up our pride, we're to size up our debts, and we're to soak up his grace. So, up to this point... The woman has only served as an object lesson for Jesus, what he's trying to communicate to the Pharisee. He finishes his conversation with Simon, and he probably sits up and turns around and looks right at her. And he says, Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Peace. I don't think she had had that for a while. We, as this woman did, are to accept what only God can give. That is pardon for our sin and atonement from God. This woman understood something, that she was outside the structure for honorable members of society. And if you were in the structure for honorable members of society, some man in your family would take to the temple once a year a sacrifice for atonement. And you would, you would renew your relationship with God based on the blood of another, your sins would be forgiven. And all of this pointed to one who would come, who would fulfill all of God's word and all of God's prophecy and all of God's purpose for his people. And this woman found that one. She saw it somehow. And she accepted what he had to offer. Pardon for sin, atonement. And we are to not only accept what only God can give, but we are to find what only faith can bring. Jesus is trying to demonstrate something to those around him in this interaction, and one of those things is simply this. If you think you have it figured out, If you think you have your relationship with God figured out, nailed down, and you're on top of your game, you're wrong. 
it works by the sacrifice of another, by God giving you access to his grace through faith. One of the contributions of the Protestant Reformation, salvation comes by grace through faith. And this woman is a demonstration of that truth that her faith somehow reaches past her circumstances and grabs a hold of the Messiah himself, and she just breaks it open. And here we find her enjoying what only faith can bring. Eternal life and eternal peace. I just want you to think for a moment. In, in purely human terms, peace is a ridiculous concept. Look around the world. Look at your own life. Look in your own heart. Look at Ukraine. Look at anything. There is no peace in this world. And what does Jesus say to this woman who has no hope, no opportunity, no place in this world, except he says to her, go in peace. And she doesn't, she doesn't laugh, right? She, she knows. She has found the one thing that transcends the insanity of our world, of our existence, of our life on earth, hope through Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we are humbled by this woman's expression of devotion, her ability to see through the eyes of faith, that the one had come, the one who could bring forgiveness, eternal life, peace to the human heart, had arrived before her. And Father, we pray that you would help us to express our faith the way this woman did, to be this free, uninhibited, and expressive of the truth that you have come to forgive our sins, to do the one thing that we could never do for ourselves, to bring to us the gift of faith through which we can have access to atonement, forgiveness, eternal life, and peace, even now. Father, render us unto you as your children. Take away our pride and bring us into this place where we see you more clearly each and every day, where we love because we've been forgiven where we express to everyone around us 
that freedom, that joy, that love that you have put in our hearts. Fill us with your spirit and lead us according to your will. In your son's name we pray. Amen.